and welcome to a very special podcast episode featuring members of Youth Futures Foundation's Ethnic Disparities Youth Reference Group. In this episode, I'll be chatting to them and understanding a bit more about their reflections on our recently published research and consider their lived experience of the barriers highlighted in the report. Please note within this episode, there are a few trigger warnings to highlight. We'll be discussing experiences of racial, cultural and ableist discrimination amongst other sensitive and important issues relating to the research and the lived experiences of the young people speaking on our podcasts today. So, uh, hello everybody. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Would you mind um, introducing yourselves to our listeners and telling us a bit about your work with Youth Futures Foundation? I'm Oscar, I'm 20. I'm currently in my second year of university. I'm studying sociology and social anthropology. And um, I, yeah, I've really enjoyed working with the Ethnic Disparities Youth Reference Group. I've been really inspired by the work that Youth Futures Foundation has been doing and this, this research in particular. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Oime. Um, I am 25. I have been with the Youth Futures for a few months now and contributed to the research for the parliamentary event. And yeah, this podcast is something I've been really looking forward to. So thank you for inviting me. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm 18. I'm from Southwest and I'm a full-time student and I work part-time at a local cinema and I've been with um, the Ethnic Disparities Group since around the end of August. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Yesha and I work in um, research and also some other freelance bits and pieces in areas not limited to diversity, equity and inclusion. And um, for me, when I um, first saw this, because as you know, I'm just always feel so privileged to be part of um, YFF's work and to contribute. But I felt it was a really meaningful um, initiative and so many great projects bringing around this around how we can create positive change around what can, of course, understandably be very painful um, uh, experiences to have to um, deal with and overcome as best as we can. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So I'd love to start the conversation off by um, talking a little bit about Youth Futures' recent Youth Voice survey. And Oscar, can you tell us a bit about Youth Futures' survey? How were you involved? Um, yes, yeah, so the survey collected the experiences of over 2,000 young people aged 18 to 25 from ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, in order to gauge their experiences in relation to employment. Um, so the Youth Futures Foundation commissioned the research and brought on board the Ethnic Disparities Youth Reference Group for consultation on the research questions and um, the direction of the survey, um, as well as filling out the survey ourselves and sharing it within our networks. Um, and yeah, we've since been giving our interpretations of the findings. Um, it's, yeah, it's just really important that young people are consulted on research that concerns us because we're able to add nuance and personal experiences that quantitative data might not be able to reflect. So, yeah, the opportunity to um, have young people engaged not only in being researched, but in part of the research process has been really great. 
Amazing. Yeah. And you raised some really important points there about ensuring that young people's voices are involved and how quantitative uh, analysis doesn't always capture those nuances. Were there any parts of the research that particularly resonated with you? Um, yeah, quite a lot. Um, what really stands out to me is the findings around the mental health impact. Um, 41% of young people from ethnic minorities reported their mental health suffering due to the pandemic um, and 38% that their mental health had suffered due to the cost of living crisis. Um, we already know that ethnic minority young people are more likely than their white peers to be in uh, low paid and insecure employment, be on a zero hour contract or have more than one job. So the way that these experiences of discrimination and job insecurity um, interact with struggles with mental health are really interesting to me and they're really important to talk about as well so I'm glad that um, this research touches on that because it often doesn't get enough attention. Yeah you're so right and one of the key themes that came out of the research was exclusionary workplace culture and the impact of the cost of living crisis on the mental health of young people from ethnic minority backgrounds. I wondered, Oime, if you had any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the cost of living crisis, you know, there's been quite a lot of new campaigns starting up. Um, for example, the Enough is Enough campaign as well, um, really shining a light on how much the cost of living crisis is impacting people, especially young people, because a lot of younger people tend to be um, typically in education or in lower income jobs because there's different age bands for 18 plus compared to 23 plus um, you know almost two pounds an hour difference in wages which really amounts to a huge amount over the long term um, and also it means that uh, as Oscar said before the fact that a lot of people are now struggling even more with mental health when we were already having so many, um, an increase in mental health or mental ill health um, with young people and a lack of resources due to the NHS uh, being understaffed as well. Um, I've been studying psychology uh, recently, um, doing a counselling course at the moment. I've gone back into education after a long break and we kind of touched on a little while ago something which made me think about the cost of living crisis actually which was there's this concept in psychology that in order for people to be to reach their full potential um, and to be the best version of ourselves and also that this is something innately that we all want to achieve um, it's known as self-actualization uh, self but in order for us to reach that concept, um, we need various needs to be met. It means that our basic needs need to be met, which consist of food, warmth, shelter, rest, feeling safe, feeling secure. Um, and that's something that a lot of people are having to choose between at the moment, putting the heating on or making sure that they're going to bed with a full stomach or that their kids or siblings are going to bed with a full stomach as well. Um, and even outside of that, it's saying that our psychological needs need to be met as well. So we need to have a sense of belonging, a community that we feel that we can be safe in, um, that we feel loved by 
our friends, our family, our chosen family, um, and also that we have love for ourselves. You know, we have good self-esteem, um, a sense of freedom, which I think is really important, and independence. Um, and you know, when we can't even when we can't even afford our basic needs, it means there's a whole generation of people who are growing up unable to attain um, a life where they can live the best version of themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, you've raised some really important points there about the need for safety and security um, and that itself presents many barriers within the cost of living crisis. Um, and what are, your, what are your reflections on the key barriers and issues that young people from ethnic minority uh, backgrounds face today? Well, I personally grew up as the only non-white um, person in school, in my own school until I was 12. Um, so the only non-white people I saw in my own family, because I live in quite a rural area of, uh, of England, and just having a total lack of any sort of representation of people who look like me whilst I was growing up meant that I was immediately othered by other people. Um, you know, it was just a really difficult sort of time and being able to now find that sense of community um, through forms of activism, through organisations that now exist um, has been amazing. But when you don't see other people who look like you in your school, in your universities, in your workplace, it just leads this feeling of um a really insular insular way of living to be honest and I always in the back of my head wondered about you know being the token person because I was the only non-white person and you know because of the um, Equalities Act workplaces need to have it's quite a broad range of people hired um, and it kind of makes you question your own self-worth because now you're starting to wonder if the reason that you've been hired somewhere is just because of the colour of your skin or just so they can tick a box. And it makes you feel really devalued because you kind of question if you're only there because of positive discrimination, if that makes sense. Um, and me personally, um, I'm also neurodiverse so I have ADHD and autism and that is a massive barrier to um, employment to making friends um, and just in all in all in all areas really um, yeah so it's quite a difficult way of living but I think because because you're part of so many different minority communities it also means that it's easier to find other people who are going through the same thing. Um, I mean, there's, you know, the statistics in, in the Youth Futures report were stating that there's more than eight out of 10 um, ethnic minority young people who are worried about barriers or challenges to do with their specific ethnicity or their background when it does come to work and employment. And that kind of burden is definitely shared, definitely felt um, all across the board, I think. Thank you, Oime. And within your reflections um, that you shared that were really thoughtful and mindful, uh, thank you for sharing those uh, reflections with us, especially about your own lived experience. Um, what do you think 
young people from ethnic minority backgrounds face, in particular when they are seeking work or employment? Yeah, um, for so I'll give you an example of something fairly recent. I have got another zero hour contract job, um, which is, you know, <laughs> big surprise. Uh, again, according to the statistics that our study showed is a lot of ethnic minority people do tend to have several jobs or tend to be on a zero hour contract rather than receiving stable work. Um, and I am the only non-white person, the only queer person, the only disabled person in that entire um, in that entire workplace. And the differences that I feel are incredible. Um, it's actually kind of, um, you know, you, you can't help but feel let down and you don't know if management is safe. Um, we had sort of talks the other day about um, one of my colleagues had said that it was really stupid because um, when she asked what um, gender her baby was, the woman replied that the baby she was raising to be gender neutral so the baby could decide later. And m my colleague had a very um, disgusted reaction to this type of thing. Um, and then for me to just straight up say, oh, well, I'm, I'm also... Uh, non-binary by the way <laughs> and for my manager to be there and not even acknowledge support or um, ask my pronouns afterwards was really hurtful um, so I guess you're constantly putting yourself on the line your your safety on the line and you know whether or not that contract that I have zero hour contract it might not be renewed even though it's zero hours so you still you have to kind of sacrifice either a part of your identity which is then detrimental to your mental health or you just have to you just have to yeah you have to hide um aspects of who you are or you have to just say it proudly and hope for the best and see what happens and that is very dangerous i don't think people actually realize how difficult that choice is um you know to be seen and accepted for who you are or to be able to afford to survive it's a really difficult thing so yeah that's why i'm really um passionate about the like the narrow the gap initiative thank you oime and i'm so sorry that you um experienced that and you um sort of touched upon it there about what your employer what your employer didn't do what you kind of want needed them to do in that situation and and what do you think that employers can do to address you know some of the barriers that you've talked about um, and ensure a more inclusive workspace place yeah um i think that's the trickier question because that will involve dismantling a lot of systems that have been at the benefit of um i'm not going to use the word majority because um white people are not the majority um but in this country typically you know um straight white people um are the ones that are in power um and it shines through with all sorts of representation and i just don't think that dismantling these systems should purely be the responsibility of those who are at a disadvantage to them, if that makes sense. Um, like talking about trauma and talking about, you know, being quote unquote different 
um, meaning not white. <laughs> um, it's you need a lot of energy to be able to maintain um, change, and you need to be able to have community to make change. Because if one person was to try and do it alone, they would completely burn out. You know, which is why it's amazing that organizations like this exist because you actually have the power to you know have that parliamentary event the other day um or the other week sorry which is fantastic to have been able to do because it sheds light on um on statistics like on actual data that cannot be disputed um and then doing stuff like this as well where you kind of hear a little bit more about you know just scratch beneath the surface of some of these stats um yeah it's it's um a team effort i think but we need people in the who are not um, an ethnic minority to also get involved and be an ally in the sense that they're also fighting for equity for people of ethnic minority backgrounds too. Can I put it better? Thank you so much for your um, points there, Oime, and for sharing your experiences. I really appreciate it. Some of the um, themes that you um, we're exploring there in terms of discrimination um, came up in uh, a video that Sara you helped um, contribute to which was the Ignite subgroup um, which was led by a few choices group members Isha, Roshan and Ed uh, looking at the experiences of young people from ethnic minority backgrounds navigating employment um, and some of the distressing themes that we heard in the video included um, whitewashing of CVs, um, exclusionary workplace practices based on faith, drinking culture, ableism, as well as language and hair discrimination. So Sarah, I'd love to know what led you to want to contribute to the video? I think one of the biggest reasons is that it's, it's a very important piece. It's quite common i think we have so much access to so much information that it's common to hear quite grim statistics like the youth voice survey about 71 percent of young people from ethnic minority backgrounds have experienced discrimination in the workplace um and the rapid evidence review backs that you know omay talked about being on zero hour contracts and how that is so much more likely for people from ethnic minority backgrounds um and these numbers are very alarming, but they're, it's also very easy to get desensitized to them, even though they're the when you hear something so shocking and audacious, um, you would think that it wakes people into action. If you're being presented with clear evidence of deep rooted issues of inequity, especially with the nature of this research, um, that someone's background, their ethnicity can drastically alter their opportunities, their confidence, their health, all of this, which impacts their quality of life. But we still find that there tends to be a quite a large disconnect, which is why I think the video is so important because people, they may very much believe it, but they don't quite put stock into the facts because they don't have a personal connection to it. And so it's very easy to be kind of dismissive and say that this isn't as prevalent today that Britain today is flawed but it's still it's a modern equitable meritocratic society um, and on top of this there's this very like note there's this very big notion I think of how young people today are just a bit 
petulant and they don't know how good they have it and they're just whining or something like that and it's it's part of human nature to complain about young people it would be strange if there wasn't like a single person talking about like kids nowadays or something but you very easily run into this issue of ignoring problems when young people aren't given opportunities to have their voice heard, which is what this video was about. It's a chance to force people, especially influential decision makers, to connect these numbers to real people, real stories, real lives, and see a human face to some of the statistics. It means something to hear directly from people, that another person is letting you into their life. You can't really just dismiss that. And I genuinely believe that people can't just ignore when someone's been vulnerable and they are telling you about a painful experience. When Ome was talking about their experience, it's very difficult to turn a blind eye to that um, and it motivates action. Yeah, you're so right, Sarah, and I think you really speak to the importance of the nuance of hearing from young people themselves about issues that affect them. Um, and so you um, reflect on some really important issues there about why you wanted to contribute to the video and, and you know, your experiences getting involved in that and some of the data from the survey. What do you think schools, employability support providers and employers can do then to help more young people from ethnic minority backgrounds overcome some of the barriers that you've described when it comes to work? Um, so. This is kind of a quite a difficult question. So the answer seems very simple when I say that it's very important that people, you know, schools, employers, anyone who wants to be part of the solution, um, the first thing they need to do is recognise that it is it isn't a single problem. Um, you know, you've listed a lot of different things about whitewashing, about hair discrimination, about workplace practices. And they're all their own little fires that all require their own unique approach to put them out and to build a better structure in their place. Young people need holistic support. They need personalised support to earn, to enter the workplace confident of their ability, of what they bring to the table and of their value. And workplaces need to adapt. They need to be flexible to be, to be able to welcome people of unique backgrounds and unique perspectives and ensure that they feel comfortable, that they have reasonable adjustments in place so they aren't just bringing in the same type of people and that they're able to retain those workers who are so valuable to their company. Because um, if you're just bringing in the same type of people and the same type of background and the same type of skills, it's simply not in the interest of anyone, no matter the industry or the company, it's going to stall eventually and it isn't productive. And what I want to emphasize is that this is not a case of forcing young people to abandon their identities. Um, I think Ome hit on a really good point about feeling like they need to hide um, to be able to go through work um, in a way that feels comfortable. And it's, we have this archaic image of what a productive um, member of society looks like. Um, and it's very, we see that it clearly it's something that's put into everyone, no matter their background. You know, two in five young people think they don't act or speak the like quote unquote right way. Um, and it's very unlikely that it's just because 
a lot of young people are just unprofessional or lack education. We know that that is just not true. Um, and that it's more likely the impact of a lot of negative stereotypes attached to individuals because of their identity and also the somewhat hostile um, image a lot of workplaces can have for being a place that's just not for people who aren't white, who aren't um, able, who aren't neurotypical or like some other quote unquote like perfect individual. Thank you, Sarah. You've raised some really powerful points there um, and some really important points about what employers and um, education providers can do. Um, and that really speaks to um, a mantra that youth futures um, try and live by, which is nothing about young people without young people. And Nyasha, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this particular um topic why do you think it's important to consult young people on issues affecting them thank you so much um Rina and yeah I would echo that loving all the powerful um sentiments that have been shared so I think it's important to consult um young people because I think um we want to build the sort of strongest projects we want to deliver the best possible programs and I think using an approach of co-creation and having reflection and really having that, um, I guess in a way, a diversity of voices and perspectives and lived experiences and all sorts of things that are coming in is such a key way of um, empowering everyone to really feel that they're being involved and that they're listened to. And one thing that um, springs to mind immediately is, um, um, with Youth Futures Foundation in the way that they are really like leading the way with uh, youth voices. I love the diagram I think that there was where it's like you kind of think where are you on that um, sort of scale or um, I guess it's like it's a cycle as well in a way but of youth voice and you know in terms of informing young people, consulting young people, empowering them and really making sure that they're an integral part of any sort of um key um decision making but for me i think it would be just it's just it just makes it makes whatever you're trying to do a lot better it makes it um i think more sort of um thought out and i think you increase the likelihood of succeeding so i feel um one thing that i always say in my sort of um personal life as a mantra myself is i believe in helping people how they want to be helped so i might come along and say oh you know i can you know i could do this i think it'd be really great if but if that person doesn't feel that what I've done is actually you know what they needed then the um intent unfortunately doesn't um count as much it's really about the impact isn't it and then I think just more um broadly in terms of like with the um other areas and things you know we see with let's say even like the cost of living crisis and this and this generation I think very often I'm um, feeling um shafted from the conversations that I um have with um various young people but I think just in general like across climate you can see so many areas where you're really looking at things and we think it's not being made um with the best interest of future generations in mind to be perfectly honest and it's great for example that um Wales have that um commissioner for future generations don't they but it's like we need to take that even further and you know what why not have a um why not have a young person 
in that role why have you know just a youth parliament and kind of have that as like a different you know body why not try and have more integration and you know maybe I don't know things like making it mandatory that um, MPs would have like a, a young advisor etc I think there's been great schemes like where they had um, I saw one where it was like um, MPs got mentored by a young person actually and then in turn the um, MP would um, also give that the young person come for mentoring but they were getting digital mentoring in like all sorts of areas and I think it's just such a um, key way of really filling in the gaps and bridging some of that um, intergenerational um, divide that we um, often see. I think Nyasha's like made some absolutely insane points um, yeah people sometimes just need to be heard um, you know rather than offering solutions sometimes people just need to be able to voice their concerns and be heard first and asked how they can be helped rather than telling them how they should be helped if that makes sense um yeah i was just thinking as well to because niasha brought up that point i was just thinking back to the question you asked me um originally arena where you were saying you know what can employers do to to address barriers and ensure inclusive workplace practices i was also thinking about making a safe space where employees can actually voice their concerns um, and just in general whether it's to do with the workplace or it's an emotional thing um, so offering private health care or therapy as part of the job so having that as something that's standard to be included if someone so chooses um, to be able to have access to that kind of support really easily um, yeah, that's that was all I wanted to add. Thank you, Oi Mason. Really important reflections there. Um, Nyasha, I'd love to uh, elaborate a little bit more about what you were saying about the importance of uh, ensuring young people are, you know, really embedded within uh, organisations, working, empowering youth voice. Um, why is it important for organisations? Do you think and employers to recruit and retain a diverse workforce? Thank you, Rina. And yeah, love those um, points. Um, once again, Oime, and I can see um, Angel mentioning the system map. Yes, all these wonderful, wonderful um, visuals. Yes, to come back to um, your um, question. Yeah, I think um, in terms of um, embedding these future generations and really thinking of ways to sort of centre them and I think there's been great points that have been made about the sort of different trends in the workplace i think there are so many um levers that are part of this it's things like employee engagement you know we're seeing lots of um sort of um fascinating like, changes and like, demographic considerations as well in terms of like vacancies gaps and key issues that we think about when we think about the um, employment landscape but i think it's so interesting because you know we keep talking about you know we've got like an aging population and ultimately you know what do you need you need more people of working age you need these people like um, maybe like from, let's say, um, like um, immigrant backgrounds, et cetera. I know painful um, topic conversation, but it's kind of a reality in terms of what we need um, ultimately to keep things running and to keep things working. And then I think also on the other end, you know, with young people and thinking about how very often they can, I think, feel underserved, whether it's through education and it's through um, like the difficulty of like getting into the job market, et cetera. And obviously we know that this is... um. Um, exacerbated by like discrimination etc that um, many um, ethnic minorities face so I think for me it's just a thing of um, we want to in a very sort of tough 
environment and tough context of let's say I guess it's like a fourth industrial revolution and you know maybe we're going to be going into the fifth industrial revolution and we're thinking about automation and this and changing patterns of work we want to create I think the best possible types of systems that work for people and I think obviously I think things can feel very very um dystopic but it's like you want to kind of you know why not have um amazing sort of things with the technological revolution and we're really working towards what a kind of utopia or just creating a better world for us could look like so I think for me it's just um with employers um ultimately they want to keep innovating and they want to keep having like growth and this and those new ideas and those um fresh perspectives that the um young people are going to bring and I think just it's so important to um look at things in a different way I think there's a quote which I'm gonna massively massively misquote so forgive me but it goes along the lines of um the task is not to look at things and it's like to be able to see what everyone else has seen but it's like to be able to like think what no one else has thought about those things so it's like you're really reflecting and you've I think if, if those young people if they feel really sort of supported to bring their full selves and to sort of I know I think change can be um, uncomfortable with some of the things and those sort of culture clashes that might come up but if they can really be supported to bring their whole selves it's not only you know great for the um, business but just more importantly for them as people just in terms of like mental health and all those things I think um, a fascinating point but was being made just now but even with things like um, whether you provide mental health support in the workplace they're talking about how with um um, very often if it's a bit larger organization they will have um, an EAP so like an employee assistance program and not as often the case with smaller organizations unfortunately but they were saying that um, through the pandemic people have seen like basically an explosion whereas before like they'd get it and they think oh yeah maybe we'll have a couple thousand people taking it up and then they would have like um, I think for one of them they said they were expecting 4,000 people or something on a call and they had like 120,000 people who joined so it's just all these things like there's just incredible um need and like really um it's so important to see that um uptake with um being able to provide people the right support that will um, help them to thrive but yeah ultimately I think if you want to be um purpose-driven and you want to build um an organization that's going to last into the future you need to do it with the people who are inheriting that future completely second that so many important and powerful points there that you've raised Nyasha especially on the technical side and revolution that the labour market is undergoing at the moment around automation and what that could mean and for the future of um, the youth labour market. We've heard some amazing points from all of you reflecting on various different um, elements of your time uh, on the youth reference group. I'd like to steer the conversation now towards reflecting more on your experiences being in the ethnic disparities youth reference group. So if we wheel back around, I'll start with uh, you, Oscar. Um, what has been your highlight uh, of being in the group? Um, I'm going to say it's today because I've just really enjoyed hearing everyone speak. I think especially what Oime was talking about, about um, uh, I'm also, I also have autism and ADHD and um, mixed race and my entire family is white and for a lot of the time most of my school and workplace has been white as well so I think you know we've been talking about very uh, practical ways about how to aid uh, people of ethnic minorities into the workplace but I think also having communities like this where we're able to um, 
talk and listen with one another is just amazing because it can be a very isolating experience as the um, survey has shown. So yeah, listening to everyone speak today has been really great. So yeah, thank you to everyone. Thank you, Oscar. Oh, that's um, that's like so nice, but also I'm so sorry that we've got so many parallels, if that makes sense. Um, I keep saying if that makes sense. I, I noticed that I say it quite a lot. Um, <laughs> so apologies for that. I'm trying to get better at uh, just stating things and not needing uh, it to be um, digested easily by other people. I guess it's one of the uh, side effects of sort of always being the other person who's not taken quite as seriously as those around me. Um, <laughs> so I will try better to not say that anymore because I've said it three times this podcast. Um, but yeah, this this has been really, really nice actually as well. I kind of um, really relate to what Oscar was saying. Um, yeah, I feel like we've maybe shared quite a lot of parallels there. And yeah, he's completely right. Just saying like having that community is just been so powerful. Um, again, personally over the lockdown has been quite a difficult period not just because of like losing family members and obviously losing um, the losing a lot of my clients because I'm freelance and I was a travel photographer and writer before the pandemic and obviously you can't you can't travel during a pandemic um, but because of um, because of the pandemic I was able to find a lot more East and Southeast Asian um, friends and people and that type of community that this offers and that that has offered um, yeah that's been like the most powerful important thing in my entire life um, and I can't remember who was talking about whitewashing before you know changing people people changing their um, non-white children's names to be a white name so it's more palatable so they might not be at risk of potentially not getting a job um, because their name is maybe hard to pronounce or whatnot. Um, I only started using my Chinese name, Oimei, uh, for the past year and a half. Um, and if places like this didn't exist where, you know, the focus is really on um, being an ethnic minority or global majority, whichever term you want to use, um, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. So it's thanks to stuff like this, which means I can start to accept myself um, and that's probably been the most important step. I think I've been very lucky through this group to be exposed to so many different perspectives that are so incredibly rich and that articulate very nuanced experiences in a very powerful, impactful way, um, as well as being able to personally partake in unique experiences like the Parliament event. That is something that I just, it still thinks, I still think of it as such a strange anomaly in my life. I live quite literally like half hour away from Parliament, um, but I would have never imagined myself to be there, especially to be in the House of Lords. That It seems very absurd. You think of it as like a building that is composed of and built for like old men in stuffy wigs and silly robes. I wouldn't fit in anywhere else except for, you know, like on BBC. Um, and it still is very, feels very strange to think of youth unemployment as an issue that, even though it quite rightly does concern them, it feels strange to have actual established, like important individuals, not only ask about people's experience, but to actually listen. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, really, everything that said really resonates with me. And I think um, I was thinking earlier when um, Oscar was um, sort of going through the process of everything that was being um, set up, I would say just really, to be honest, every part of the process and even with um, the wonderful um, team at um, Savanta Comres and you know, they sent us the document and they're really consulting us and sort of having that um, youth voice um, sort of um, integrated and interweaving through each part of it. And I remember like going through that document, like make sure you suggest changes, make sure you do this, make sure you do all those bits and learning about like the whole um, intricacies of the trade, like the unique sort of coding system that they use in terms of if this question, if this and like logic rules and all sorts of really fascinating and um, slightly nerdy stuff. So yeah, I think it was just fantastic to really um, see it from um, start to finish. And I think definitely to, um, uh, self-actualization um, is one of my um, favorite um, concepts to think about as well um, so um, I think I definitely felt a real key sense of that because for me it was all sorts of things that to be honest still um, I still grapple and um, do with now in terms of um, what it's like to be you know a young black woman and neurodiverse and all sorts of other things and just like facing up against um, ableism and systems that just really um, feel like you're having to sort of feel like you're forced to um fit into them and like you don't really have that space to um yeah like just adjust and to like feel like there's enough sort of flexibility to make things more comfortable so it just is such a nice way to sort of give back and to sort of um take stock and to um be able to um really sort of just uh, I think just a sense of really seeing well, how can we make things better for the next generation and then I think as a result of this because it's not just um what I, I really love with them um, YFF it's not just about what are we doing on like the core of like the day-to-day -day work and the objectives that we're trying to achieve but it's also about the external things as well because then um as a result I think um something was signposted about I think it's the young um, women's trust and work that they were doing around just understanding um like ethnic minority um, women, I think in particular as um, experiences of um, racial discrimination. And it was really um, quite sort of, um, yeah, a bit of, um, I guess, out of my comfort zone. But then um, I signed up for that and then there was like a call. And I remember the first time I thought, oh no, let's, you know, reschedule, do a different time. And they're very sort of understanding and flexible about it because it can be tricky fitting it in around work and other things and having um, more than one job. But then just being there and being able to, talk through some of the really like um yeah tough experiences and I think it's sad but sometimes through these projects it's like the first time that I felt like I've had um real sort of like affirmation and empathy because it's just that whole thing like you can tell someone you know like I was sharing experiences about like money managers who were like bullying me and like I was getting completely different um treatment to my um white colleagues and things like, you know, a manager who was like uh, using like racial slurs and just kind of really just, yeah. And it's like just having that space and that whole thing where you kind of like are reflecting back your experiences to contribute to a greater good of some research. And then really having someone that can kind of just be like, yeah, like that um, thing about how trauma is what's experienced in the absence of an empathetic witness. So just someone to kind of um, help me on that kind of journey of like recovery, et cetera. And healing and just really thinking about actually this isn't okay and this is how I'm gonna find meaning from this and this is how I'm gonna step up it's been a whole um process in terms of like the day-to-day -day and what we were doing but then also the outside thing and I'm sure even years from now I'll be able to reflect and think about how yeah life-changing and transformative it's been and you know so we um continue to I guess like yeah beat on and just keep um 
getting on with things and like doing the best that you can in spite of it because I know that many um people listening and I'm sure many people have dealt with just yeah just really really terrible stuff and that's why we want to create that better world and make sure that we um don't have that again and yeah I loved what um Sarah was saying I like that very sort of like like a very sort of spunky call to action kind of vibe I think we need more of that thank you all for sharing your lived experiences and your reflections I think just elaborating a little bit there on what Nyasha was saying about um years from now you sort of look back and hopefully think that it was a life-changing experience for you all it means a great deal to us at you futures and to hear that and um hope that you um you know really feel involved in all of these uh different processes and um, so really appreciate you coming on and being able to share some of these very personal and um, important reflections that are vital for stakeholders and um, the government and various policymakers to hear who are working in the youth employment sector that will be making changes and recommendations to young people's futures. Um, so thank you so much for taking part. And for listeners who are interested in learning more about the research that um, young people who were part of the youth reference group were referencing today, you can find that on our website and you can learn more about our ethnic disparities work on our website as well. And so thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.